if you have a Bible, pull it out and open up to Romans chapter 3. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Romans chapter 5. We are working our way through a sermon series called Joy in Christ. And you can see from the graphic, it's, it's this idea of having our joy sink its roots down deep into Christ. Or rather, joy comes from sinking our roots down deep into Christ. And I think especially when we go through difficulties like pandemics, like racial injustice, we start sinking roots in all these different things. If I could do this, if I could get that done, if I could accomplish this, then I would be okay. I would be satisfied. And the Bible consistently, constantly pulls us back to the gospel of Jesus Christ and says, sink your roots there. Any joy... And it's not wrong to find joy in other things, but as long as we find our ultimate joy in Jesus Christ, because joy in other things is always subject to change as those things change. Who would have thought back in February, first week of March, that there'd be a global pandemic? If we could all go back and talk to ourselves at that point in time and and say, oh yeah, you're going to go through this, You're going to go through a pandemic and everything's going to be shut down. We would laugh in our faces. There's no way in this modern world this could possibly happen. And yet here we are. We're struggling through it together. And so I think it's so appropriate to look at and to focus on what does it mean to have joy in Christ. And the sermon topic this morning is joy in suffering, which seems like a contradiction, I think to think about having joy in the times of suffering in our lives. And yet, isn't it in the times of suffering that we need joy the most? We need an unshakable joy. We need a joy with deep roots in Jesus Christ. And the heart of the passage we're going to look at today is Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. So I want to read that for us. Paul writes, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. And that word there for glory can be boast. It can also be rejoice. We'll talk about that in a moment. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How do we glory in, boast in, or rejoice in suffering? How can we find joy in or appreciate suffering? And as we look at these three verses, we have to also look at the surrounding verses for the context. And it's very helpful to see the way Paul packages this because it helps us to see his perspective on suffering and where we should be focusing So let's back up a little bit and look at the perspective that we need to have on suffering. We're going to look at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, because suffering has a way of narrowing our perspective. We get tunnel vision, as if the suffering is all there is. This is everything that's going on, and we just don't pay attention to everything else because this is the biggest thing right in front of us. And that's understandable, At the same time, Scripture constantly tries to pull our eyes back to the even greater thing, which is Jesus Christ, even, especially, in the suffering. So we need our perspective, our focus, in the right place. So let's look at Romans chapter 5, 
verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, understand, Paul here is talking about the gospel. This is one of the most basic foundational elements of the gospel, justification in Jesus Christ. But for him, he easily moves for from since we have been justified into now let's look at how we deal with suffering. So why does he see these things together? Why, as he wants to talk about suffering, does he talk about our justification in Jesus Christ? And there's kind of a a past, present, and future aspect here. There's the perspective of what Christ has already done for us. We have been justified through faith. If you are a Christian... You have been justified. Has Jesus already died on the cross? Yes. Did he pay the price for all of your sins on the cross? Not just some of them, not just to kind of fix you up and send you on your way. The Bible says we are justified in Jesus Christ. All of our sins, past, present, and future, are paid for by Jesus Christ. The payment for our sins has been made. The great problem between us and God has been taken care of through Jesus Christ. Here's a great quote from theologian John Stott on justification. Justification, its source God and his grace, its ground Christ and his cross, and its means faith alone altogether apart from works is the heart of the gospel and unique to Christianity. No other system, ideology, or religion proclaims a free forgiveness and a new life to those who have done nothing to deserve it, but a lot to deserve judgment instead. On the contrary, all other systems teach some form of self-salvation through good works of religion, righteousness, or philanthropy. Christianity, by contrast, is not in its essence a religion at all. It is a gospel, the gospel. Good news that God's grace has turned away his wrath, that God's son has died our death and borne our judgment, that God has mercy on the undeserving, and that there is nothing left for us to do or even contribute. Faith's only function is to receive what grace offers. That's what we have in Jesus Christ. Now, what does that have to do with suffering, you might think? Okay, I'm a Christian, I'm saved. Can we move on from that and talk about what we're going through right now? And the answer is, yes, we can talk about what we're going through right now. And no, we can never, ever move on from our justification in Jesus Christ because it informs everything else. Paul also gives a present perspective. He says, we have peace with God. Right now, if you are a Christian, you've received Jesus Christ, You have peace with God. It's not just hopefully someday, maybe it'll all work out. You have peace with God. And we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That phrase there, we have gained access, is a beautiful picture. If you were to go before royalty, someone would have to announce you. And you'd probably never even get to that point unless somebody said, I am speaking on your behalf, and so the king should listen to you. Because, I mean, if you're a nobody, the king's probably not going to meet with you. But if somebody important goes to the king and says, I am introducing you to my friend, you need to talk to them. That's what this phrase means. We have access. We have gained access. 
It's Jesus Christ standing before his father saying, this is my child. Can he come into your presence and have peace with you? That is our present situation in Jesus Christ. So as we go through difficulty and suffering, we look to our past in Jesus Christ. We have peace. We have been justified. We look to our present. We have peace. We have access and a right relationship with God. But there's also the perspective of what Christ will do for us. He says at the end of verse 2, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And that word there, boast, is the same word used in verse 3 for glory. It's also used in verse 11. We'll get to that later. He says, we must boast or glory in or rejoice in something. And what is it? Well, it's the hope of the glory of God. Do you know why you exist? Do you know your purpose in life, your purpose on this world? Isn't that kind of the great question of all time? Why are we here? And the answer, according to Scripture, is to glorify God. Our greatest reason for existence is to bring glory to God. Now, you would think that the greatest joy would be found in living our greatest purpose for existing, right? Does that kind of make sense? So if our greatest purpose is bringing glory to God, and in the gospel we have the hope of the glory of God, think of the joy that is ours in Jesus Christ. And Paul's talking about now, we are bringing glory to God by being saved by Jesus Christ, but he's also talking about later, we will be perfected in heaven forever, sinless in the very presence of God. That's our future. So we have a past in Christ, a present in Christ, and a future in Christ. And all of this is the context for God, what in the world are you doing right now? Because we're struggling and we're suffering. The attitude of Romans chapter 5, verse 3, to glory in or boast in or rejoice in suffering is only made possible by the truth of Romans 5, 1 and 2. We must know who we are in Christ. We must know our security in Jesus Christ. We must know our future in Jesus Christ. So now let's look at how Paul addresses suffering in verses 3 through 5 and the progression that leads somewhere, that suffering produces something according to God's plan. You know, when I've gone through difficult times in my life, my prayer is always, God, don't waste this. If we have to go through it, Don't waste it. Number one, first and foremost, use it for your glory. Number two, teach us, refine us, shape us, and mold us. And I will admit, my second prayer right on the heels of that is, God, please bring us out of this time. It's right when we're going through a pandemic to say, God, bring us back to a sense of normalcy. Bring us back to health. Bring us back to the place where this virus isn't rampant in our world. And Lord willing, that's where we're headed toward. But I think we need to make sure that we say, God, don't waste this. And the good news is, God doesn't waste anything. Paul shows one way that God uses suffering in our lives. So let's look at the progression that he's lay, that he lays out here in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. I'll put it back up on the screen for us. There we go. Again, 
He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So he starts with this glorying and boasting and rejoicing in suffering. And the word there he uses for suffering is a strong word. This is not, I went to the mall and I couldn't find a parking spot suffering. This is not, I lost my earring suffering, or I can't find my favorite shoes suffering, or the dog ate my homework suffering. This is intense suffering. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't apply to the rest of it, but Paul is dealing with the worst of the worst. And he's saying even that, especially that, God uses for his glory and for our good. And he starts with suffering produces perseverance. And the word here for perseverance is like a soldier who stands firm in battle. As the battle rages around them, maybe even the tide of the battle is turning against them. Some might get scared and run, but others stand firm. And they say, I've been called to this. This is my duty. I am going to do what I can, and I'm going to stand firm. That's the perseverance he is talking about. And it's interesting because if you think about it, is there any other way for that kind of perseverance to be developed other than through suffering? Oh, you can read about it. You can educate yourself. You can plan for it. But until you go through the difficulty, you will never know what it's like to stand in place as the storm rages around you. But remember, this is not just a stiff upper lip. This perseverance is based on something. And Paul introduced what it was based on in verses 1 and 2. It's based on salvation in Jesus Christ. To stand in the storm and say, I know who I am in Christ. Therefore, I will stand firm for him. He says then that perseverance leads to character. This word character is actually a very difficult Greek word to translate. We don't have a good English word. It's not character like we might think of in terms of honesty and integrity or uprightness. It it involves those things, but that's not quite what it's talking about. It's character in the sense, and again, I think he's using a, a military term here. There's the difference between two soldiers, one who has been through battle, and one who is a fresh recruit. Both may be equally devoted, both may be equally trained, but one has seen the battle and gone through it. Those are typically the people you would put in charge. They're the people that would lead the platoon. They're the people that have battlefield experience. That's what this word character means. Someone who has persevered, gone through it, and has live to tell about it, and has wisdom to share for it. And that soldier, if those two soldiers go into battle, they're going to face that battle differently. The one who has been through the battle before is going to see the next battle differently. And that's what he's talking about, a character, a fortitude, one who has been battle-tested rather than a fresh recruit. You know, as I was thinking about this, I thought, of the day that my wife shared with me that we were having our fourth child. And and long story short, totally unexpected, okay? Didn't know, wasn't planning for this at all. Love her to death, so glad that Ainsley's in our life. But I remember, and I think the first words out of my mouth, we both just kind of chuckled. And the first words out of my mouth was, 
We know how to do this. We Three kids, right? We've already had three kids. One of them was 10 years old at the time. I'm not saying we're perfect parents, but it wasn't like, oh my goodness, what do we do? We're freaking out. It was, hey, we've been through this before. We know how to do this. I think that's part of what Paul is talking about. Persevering in suffering leads to strength, a fortitude, so that when we face another time of suffering, we say, you know what? I've been through this before. And I've seen the goodness of God before, and I'm trusting on the gospel, and I know he will carry me through. And where does that kind of character lead to? Paul says it leads to hope. Which is interesting, because if you go back to chapter 5, verse 3, isn't that where he began? Actually, you have to go back to the end of verse 2, sorry. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So it was Paul's thinking of boasting in the hope of the glory of God that led him into this explanation of suffering. When we hold on to the gospel in suffering and we learn to persevere, God develops in us a strength of character that leads to hope. Hope that is believed in the gospel leads to hope that is put into action in suffering and in struggle. And isn't hope ultimately what we need in suffering? That knowledge that this isn't the end? That knowledge that it's not all for nothing? That understanding that God has a plan and he is working that out? Isn't that what we need most? We say we want resolution, and that's true. But we don't know when that's coming. What we need is hope to get us there. But Paul's not done. And this kind of surprised me the more I looked at it because he says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What is one of the number one things we tend to doubt when we go through suffering? About God. God, do you really love me? Because, and this is a question non-Christians often ask, If God loved us, why would he allow any of this to happen? If he truly loved us, we tend to doubt God's love when we suffer. But Paul says that as we hope, at the core of our hope in Jesus Christ, held on to in suffering, is the hope and the understanding that God does truly love us and that he is with us. That's what it means when it says... He has poured out our, uh, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We are not alone in the suffering. God is with us. But Paul's going to go further to answer the question of how we know God loves us when we're experiencing suffer, suffering. And briefly, I want to look at verses 6 through 11. We're not going to go verse by verse. But I want, to, want you to look again. He starts with the gospel. Verses 1 and 2, talks about suffering, verses 3 through 5, and then he comes back to the gospel in verses 6 through 11. That means something. That means something for how God, or Paul is looking at suffering and how we should be looking at suffering. When we suffer, so often we can feel powerless, right? There was, when this pandemic started, really nothing we could do try to follow the guidelines, try to stay home, but I can't stop the spread of a disease. I can just do what I can do. 
as the images of the racial injustice and the rioting and all these things started coming out, I know I was thinking, what can we do? Sure, you can take action. You can do some social movement. But I'm not there instructing the police. I'm not there instructing rioters. And even if I was, they wouldn't listen to me. What can I do? And we can feel so powerless. And that's where Paul goes now as he looks at one of the most or the most powerless times in our lives. Look at chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies... and We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast, there's that word again, boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The thing is, we don't see, I think, until we become a Christian, just how powerless we were to deal with our own sin. I mean, the typical non-Christian, and I think some Christians as well, kind of think, I got this. I can handle this. I'm basically a good person. I can fix myself up. And yet Paul says, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, he says, let's look, you're struggling, you're suffering, you feel powerless. Let's look at how God treated you when you were completely powerless and without hope whatsoever when we can't save ourselves, and when we were God's enemies. And it says, in that time, God used his power to save us. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. We are reconciled to God, not because of any fixing up that we did, but because of Jesus Christ. And since this is true, this is what Paul is doing. This is why he packages this all together. Since it is true that God treated us that way when we were his enemies and we were completely powerless, now that we are in Christ Jesus, even though we are in suffering, guess how he feels about you. He loves you. He's working for your behalf. If he would do that when you were still his enemy, how much more so will you do that now that you have been reconciled to him? Paul's point in all of this is that we must have our focus, our boasting, our glorying in, our rejoicing in, in the right place, firmly set on Jesus Christ. Whoops. Sorry. We must find our joy in Christ. Finding joy in suffering as a Christian is not ignoring the suffering. It's it's actually the opposite. It's seeing the suffering as a worship service, an opportunity to bring glory to Christ. It's also seeing the suffering as a crucible that God uses to refine us. It's seeing the suffering as a classroom that God uses to teach us and to show us more about himself. Now, please don't get me wrong. I always feel like when I talk about suffering, it's important to understand God doesn't call us to seek suffering. 
We're not supposed to run after suffering as much as we possibly can. That's masochistic. This idea of I'm going to make myself a martyr. That's not what Christianity is calling us to do, okay? But as we live the Christian life, suffering will come. And we must know that God is at work in our suffering. When our greatest joy is in the truth of the gospel, then we can look at suffering and say, I know God loves me, even through this, especially through this. I know that he is at work within me and within those around me. And I know God is not wasting one moment of this experience. He is using it to develop perseverance, that we might be able to better face future difficulties so that we could have an even greater hope in Jesus Christ. I pray that we would be able to sink our roots down deep in Jesus Christ, to have true joy, even in, especially in, suffering. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are heavy things. And yet your word is weightier still. And your gospel is the firm foundation upon which we must stand. And so I pray as we face difficulties in our life, may we truly focus on Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done, who we are in Christ. May that be the sure and certain hope that we have during suffering. May we trust in your promise that in those moments of suffering, as we hold on to the gospel, you will develop in us perseverance. You will develop in us character that will help us to look at future and coming sufferings with hope no matter what. And may you keep our focus on the love that is ours through Jesus Christ that we have in you, that you are with us. And if even when we were your enemies, you showed love to us through Christ, how much more so now that we are your children will you show love to us in the midst of suffering? And God, with that attitude, as hard as it is, may we find joy as we look to you to be our strength and hope. In your name we pray. Amen.